G'day, mate, 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 g'day, mate. It is good to have you here for episode 28 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. In this episode, I talk about how you can use music to boost your performance. And I also take a look at a book that I found extremely interesting called The Carbohydrate Appropriate Diet by Cliff Harvey. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Alrighty, episode 28 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. Today I'm coming to you for the first time officially from the new Exponential Performance Coaching Office. We've got an office in our new house that we are in the process of building and it's not finished like the rest of the house, but I've uh, set up the desk in the office and this is the first time I am podcasting from here, which is definitely a milestone in the development of our place, which is very cool in itself. It'll be even cooler once everything is set up. Now, I hope you've had a good week and that your training is going well. In today's episode, we're going to cover a couple of things around music and training or music and racing and exercise. And also, I want to introduce you to a book that I've found extremely useful that is called The Carbohydrate Appropriate Diet. First of all, before we jump into everything, I've got a couple of things to mention. The first thing which I'm really, really excited about is that next week on the podcast, I am going to be having a chat with ultra-endurance running legend Lisa Tarmati. Now, if you've never heard of Lisa Tarmati, do a quick Google search. You're going to find out a lot about her. Not only has she achieved so many amazing feats of endurance in the running scene, but she is also set up as a successful Uh, mind coach to help people develop a mindset to achieve their goals so next week i am having an interview with her and what i want is if you have got any questions that you would like me to ask her or topics you'd like me to cover in that interview please send them through as soon as you possibly can and i will work there work on getting those on to the interview schedule so That's next week. If you are listening to this podcast on YouTube, which I know a lot of people do, I had someone comment on about the quality settings of the video. Now, if you want to decrease your data usage, you can go to the little gear icon on the video and select quality and decrease the quality of the video down to the lowest, which is 144p. I have no idea what that actually means, but the lower the number, the less data that it uses. So if you're streaming it from your phone, then this is the most effective way of streaming it without chewing through your data. Alternatively, head over to SoundCloud or any of the podcasting apps, and you can stream it through those apps at a greatly decreased rate to save that data as well. So if you're listening on YouTube, You don't want to chew through your data, either change those settings or head over and find the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. It's a number of places. Now that we're on the topic of iTunes, could you please 
take a couple of minutes out of your day to do a huge favor for me and head over to iTunes and leave a review rating and a review comment. It would be greatly appreciated. This just helps to increase the exposure of the podcast, expand the reach so I can help more people and get the podcast out there so it's going to be more sustainable in the long term. Now the final thing before we get into today's podcast is is I think there's been a little bit of a confusion around the voice questions. Now if you have a question you would like me to answer on the podcast, all you have to do is go over to the Exponential Performance Coaching website which is www.exponentialperformancecoaching.com and then just go slash ask ask that's going to take you to where you can record your voice questions if you ask me a voice question i will answer it on the podcast for free there's absolutely no cost for that there never will be a cost for those questions if however you do not want me to answer the question publicly i.e you want a little bit of a privacy around your question and answer then you can go over to the reach me page where you can ask that question in private and i will provide a private answer for you for that service there is a small fee a very small fee attached to it just to reimburse me for some of the time that i spent answering questions so if you have a question please head over to the exponential performance coaching website page and ask it there as a voice question, and I will answer it for free on the podcast for you. Now, chuck your headphones in, make sure you crank up that volume, get out the door ready to run, ready to ride, whatever you're doing, and get ready to increase not only your physical performance, but your mental performance, so you can train hard, but most importantly, train smart. Here we go. So music and training. Should you be listening to music at the moment? If you're training at the moment, should you be listening to music or should you be listening to a podcast? Probably the podcast, I'm going to say. But if we have a look at the research, there's actually, couldn't find any research based on music and podcasts or audiobooks, but there's a lot of information about training and using music as a performance enhancer. So it's it's quite well documented that listening to music during exercise improves performance. Okay. Now some of the positives around this, why does it improve performance? Well what it actually does is it makes the exercise feel easier. It's a bit of a distraction. And all of the research indicates that it decreases RPE. And what RPE is, is the rating of perceived exertion. So essentially, by listening to music while you're exercising, it just feels easier. It doesn't feel like you're pushing as hard. So it makes it feel easier. And that's done primarily through a distraction from actually what's happening. Those signals coming back from your body, that burning in your legs, the heavy breathing, the increased heart rate, the sweating, 
you're just not as consciously aware of it, so it feels easier, and you can push harder. It was found in cycling performance that fast-paced music of around about 120 to 140 beats per minute actually improved cycling performance over slower music. So if you are listening to music, then you want to choose faster upbeat songs. This was also found in running. Now no doubt you will be aware that music helps with the motivation and the mental focus. You just have to think back to ancient times when warriors or soldiers were getting ready for battle. What did they do? They played drums. No doubt you've seen war movies where the soldiers line up on the battlefield and you can hear those drums beating. Or in the case of the Scottish Highlanders, they'd play bagpipes to rouse the troops ready for battle. So music has been used for decades and decades to motivate people to perform, whether that be in war or in sport. And this works by having a connection to the music that you've developed over time. You'll know the songs that do it for you, that as soon as you hear them come on, you're ready to go. You're ready to train hard, you're ready to push. And those songs have been connected to some emotion or a time in in the past where you know they are motivation songs motivating songs whether it be that you're watching rocky or gladiator or whatever it was and these songs came on but what they do is that link to that memory and that emotion triggers a release of adrenaline of noradrenaline of your stress hormones So the neurological signals that are stimulated from hearing that song have a physiological response on the body to get you ready for training. Now no doubt you've had that experience where you don't really want to go out and train that day. You're not feeling the best, but you chuck on the song that you know is going to get you pumped up, that you know is going to get you out the door, and you get out there and do it. You know, you've just used music as a performance enhancer. The other way that music can be used to boost performance, apart from decreasing your perceived exertion, increasing your pace through that high upbeat music, and also improving your motivation, is just to ease boredom. This has been shown to be most effective for long, longer sessions and especially indoor sessions. You know, you don't really need the research from Harvard to tell you that riding a bike indoors or running on a treadmill was made less boring by having, you know, some of your favorite tunes cranking. It is, however, interesting to note that as intensity increases, the effectiveness of music on improving performance decreases. So it's most effective at more steady state intensities whereas at higher intensities the benefit is decreased and that is potentially because those 
feedback signals coming from your body at higher intensities get greater and greater compared to the steady state exercise. So as you push that pace more and more and more, the body is screaming at you that it's hurting. Your lungs are screaming, your legs are burning, your heart feels like it's going to jump out of your chest and your quads feel like they're going to burst out of your skin and die on the footpath. Music can't distract the brain enough to block out those signals for there to be a significant decrease in perceived exertion. However, when you're cruising along at steady state and the signals from your body aren't as intense, then then music can have a big effect on it. So it seems that is, mm, the biggest effect comes when you are operating at that steady state intensity. However, that is just in terms of the decrease in perceived exertion. You're still going to get the motivation. You're still going to get the increase in performance through the, the tempo of the songs. So have a think about that. And remember, if you're looking for those songs, you're looking for around about 120 to 140 beats per minute. And that's been shown to improve cycling and running performance. Unfortunately, unfortunately, songs around that tempo are largely that techno BS. If you've ever been to uh, an aerobics class or some spin classes, it's the type of music you're going to hear in there. So what about some negatives when it comes to music? Because it sounds like it's pretty good so far in terms of music and training. Well, what are some of the negatives? Well, here's a little bit of a safety rant for you. I'll put my parent hat on and we'll talk about safety. If you're riding out on the road, on your bike, and it is around town or a city where there's a lot of cars, you obviously can't hear what's going on around you. You need your hearing to be safe on a bike, okay? You can't be safe if you can't hear what's happening. Whether it's a truck approaching from behind, you can hear the engine changes, you can hear a car approaching, you can hear it approaching fast, you can hear it slowing down, whatever it is. Take away that sense of hearing and you have decreased your chance of survival when you're out on that bike. Now, I use music on the bike, but I tend to only ride with one earbud in and only use it during uh, rides on quiet roads. Now, while anybody should be able to run anywhere at any time and feel safe, the nature of the world that we live in is such that it's not the case, especially for females. And I would always be cautious of running by myself with music on, uh, not really knowing what's going on around me. So please, if you're going to use music, be safe out there. Okay, be safe. Now that's the uh, safety speech over with, uh, but I do think it is a very important thing to think about it. There's no point using music to improve your performance if you're going to get knocked off your bike by a car. Okay, safety rant over for real this time. Now, the same reason that music is beneficial, it's that distraction, that dissociation, is also a negative thing. When you plug your headphones in, you start disconnecting with your body. 
And I think it is a really important thing for athletes to listen to their body during some sessions. How's your breathing sounding? How are your footsteps sounding? Are they heavy? Are they light? How is your bike sounding on the trainer? Is it smooth or is it jerky? Having that connection with your body is really important for developing your ability to internally monitor yourself. And as soon as you put in headphones, you decrease your ability to do that. Which is good in terms of it's going to distract you so you can push potentially harder or go for longer. But in the same breath, you're decreasing your ability to be able to do that internal monitoring. And this is particularly I believe particularly important if you are training for a race where you're not able to use music. A lot of races will not allow the use of music during the race. A lot of the time they cite safety for that. You can't hear what's going on around you. And so they've just banned all music and earphones. And there's not much you can do about that. That's the rules of the race. And a lot of people get tripped up on that. They train for their event with music. And when they get to race day, all of a sudden they're faced with a rule that says you can't take your iPod with you. And then it messes with their head because all of a sudden they're running this race or riding this race. And they've got to listen to their body. They're hearing those signals that are coming to them. They're hearing that breathing. They're sensing that heart rate more. They can feel things better because they have got that sense back. And all the time during training, they've been dissociating dissociating themselves away from that pain. And all of a sudden, it's there in their face. And it messes with people hugely. It messes with them hugely. So if you're training for a race that you can't use music, I would highly recommend using music sparingly during your training sessions and preparing yourself just as if you are preparing your nutrition, your hydration, your pacing, your clothing, and training. You're practicing everything that you're going to do in the race. Music should be the same. Music should be the same. And how often would I use music personally? Well, I was on the wind trainer this morning and I had the iPod cranking. I did. Uh, That would be the first time in probably three or four weeks that I've trained with music. Apart from when I do my strength work in the gym, there's usually uh, the gym sound system happening, but it's not specific for me earphones in or whatever I haven't chosen the music for that session it's just playing in the background so I don't use music all of that often Uh, personally I really like um, being out in nature when I train I like listening to my body to my breathing um, to my to the wheels on the gravel to my footsteps you know hitting the pavement whatever it might be I, I like being in tune with those things and I find that music um does interfere with that I do however have times when I'm doing a session that I'm not feeling that great for 
or I, you know, I'm trying to push harder, or I just don't really have that motivation to go out, then I'll chuck on one of my motivation playlists, and it is guaranteed that every song or every track on that playlist is going to help me towards my goal. So definitely, there is a time and a place to use music in training, but do not become too reliant on it. Now, what are your favorite training songs or training tracks post a comment below on whatever platform what is your number one song for training what's your number one song it'd be interesting to hear what people are listening to now let's jump into a wee chat about a book that i have just finished reading called the carbohydrate appropriate diet carbohydrate appropriate diet now before we start i am not a big fan of diet books so when i first heard about this book i just thought here we go this is another diet book and what really got me to read it was that the author is a guy called cliff harvey now cliff has really done it all really when it comes to nutrition and interestingly I remember reading his articles in the New Zealand triathlon and multi-sport magazine I think it was back in the day and he, he he was writing some things that were well ahead of his time let's say back then uh, and then he sort of dropped off the radar off my radar at least for a while and it's interesting that I've come uh, full circle and found him again so Cliff Harvey like I say he's really done it all he's a registered clinical nutritionist he's currently a PhD candidate and researcher in nutrition at AUT University which is in Auckland New Zealand he has got a naturopathic diploma and also a diploma in fitness training. So he's got a nice balance between nutrition and fitness, which I really like that combination. Uh, and he's also done a whole list of other uh, accreditations as well. So he's got a nice spread of things. He's not one of these uh, professionals or these experts that focus on just one thing in my sort of uh, image of the guy he seems to be quite well balanced and he's got a lot of uh, weightlifting titles and world records in fact which is pretty cool in itself so what is the carbohydrate appropriate diet well for me to be honest it was a bit of it was a bit of a breath of fresh air really it covers a lot of different topics and the whole idea of it is that why would we recommend the same nutritional guidelines to everybody when everybody's activity levels and carbohydrate requirements are so different? So when you think about it, protein is for structure. It's the building blocks of the, of the body. Fat is also for structure it helps build a lot of different things in the body and it's also for fuel and carbohydrate is purely for fuel 100% carbohydrate is for fuel so why would 
nutritional guidelines recommend the same amount of carbohydrate for everybody. And this is what Cliff dives into in this book. He reaccounts when he learnt these concepts at university and that he was instructed by his lecturer at the time that a minimum of 65% of people's calories should come from carbohydrate, irrespective of condition or state of activity. And to him, that just didn't stack up. He said he peppered his lecturers with questions. But what if someone's really sedentary? Surely you don't need that much fuel. And how can someone wanting to retain muscle while dieting consume the optimal amount of protein, as indicated in the literature, if they have to eat 65% of carbohydrate? So these are a couple of things that he just mentions in his book about the things that started to spark his curiosity. And so the book continues. And it is a, it's, a, it's really nicely written, really, in that it is, it's research-based, but it's not research-heavy, if that makes sense. It's not hard to read. It reads really easy, but it has the research behind it. It's full of references, and there's lots of extended reading if you want to go into it, but you don't really need to because it gives a really nice snapshot of everything. It covers everything from, you know, the basic stats behind... Um, you know, why are we gaining weight on our current diets? But then it also goes into lots of practical things like developing your metabolic efficiency, um, meal timing, intermittent fasting, alcohol, coffee. Um, and then I guess the, the, the beef of the book, uh, or where the real meat is, so to speak, is how to find your carbohydrate appropriate diet. It doesn't matter what sort of pattern or philosophy of eating that you follow whether it be you know vegetarian or even a vegan or what about if you're following low carbohydrate high carbohydrate it doesn't really matter what this book does is helps you define how much fuel or carbohydrate you need what is the appropriate amount of carbohydrate to fuel your engine and then it goes just sort of just goes straight into other things such as um, the gut microbiome and it provides a really nice introduction to gut health for those that uh, aren't familiar with it and nutrients in gut health and how to improve your gut health. And then it goes and it gives a really nice summation of supplementations of the different vitamins and minerals and what they do, how you can get them best from food but also what to look for in supplements. Uh, and then he just puts it all together in a really nice little package. So it is targeted largely at um, the general population in terms of health, but it has a lot of implications for those people who are looking at manipulating their diet for performance. Okay, So it's not strictly for weight loss, but if you're looking to lose weight, this would be a great book to pick up and have a look at. But if you're looking to improving your performance, it, it would it's a it's a fantastic read and a, and a way to implement things. So I'll just read a little bit more from the book around about low carb diets because obviously there is a big uh, talk around low carb diets at the moment, and I think a lot of the confusion or a lot of the 
debate comes from this definition. So this is from the book. There is no universally accepted definition of low-carbohydrate diets. And so it can be very confusing for the public and the researchers to know exactly what is being spoken about when people use the term like low-carbohydrate, high-fat, or low-carb. It is suggested that low-carbohydrate diets contain between 20 and 60 grams of carbohydrate, typically less than 20% of total, total calories. But it has also been suggested that anything up to 200 grams of carbohydrate is low-carb. So for fat adaptation to occur, optimally, it is suggested that a low-carbohydrate diet contains between 50 and 150 grams of carbohydrate, but this level may not result in nutritional ketosis. So pretty much what it's saying is that there's no real definition of what low-carbohydrate is. There is also another definition of low-carbohydrate, a meta-analysis of low-carbohydrates by WHO and colleagues in the American Journal of Epidemiology included a broader range of studies, including as low-carbohydrate diets, anything that contains less than 45% of daily calories from carbohydrate. So anything that is lower than normal can also be considered as low carbohydrate. So if you're just decreasing your carbohydrate intake a little bit, that comes under the bracket of low carbohydrate in a lot of research. So there's a lot of confusion and a lot of miscommunication, I guess, around what is actually low carbohydrate. And this book goes a long way to help clear that up. And then he provides a nice, really condensed uh, little chart I guess of what to eat what to eat most of what to eat according to your carb tolerance and what to avoid and it, it just condenses uh, what is a very complicated and controversial topic into a really nice user-friendly guide so that's the carbohydrate appropriate diet by Cliff Harvey I will post a link to this book in the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com underneath the podcast tab for episode 28. And you can get over and check that out. I am going to work on getting Cliff Harvey on the podcast to have an interview about this book and to talk a little bit more about how you can use the information in it or how you can use information about your carbohydrate appropriateness what sort of levels of carbohydrate appropriate for you as an athlete to maximize your training. If that is something you would be interested in, post a comment below and give me a yay or a nay about getting Cliff Harvey on the show to have a chat. So we're going to wrap it up there. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast. I hope it has been useful for you to improve your performance whatever those goals are now before i go just a reminder next week i am going to have endurance running legend lisa tamati on the podcast for an interview so please let me know if you have any questions or topics you would like her to talk about if you've never heard of lisa tamati before do a quick google search because she is absolutely amazing 
in the endurance feat that she has completed. She's run across deserts. She's run at extremely high altitude. She's set world records. And during all of that, she's come up against a lot of obstacles. A lot of obstacles that we are going to dive into and talk about how she dealt with those and got over them. That's next week. I'll see you then. Until then, get out, train hard, but most importantly, train smart.